0: You're listening to the Flyer Delphia podcast, part of sportstalkphilly.com and 97.3 ESPN. Hello, Flyers fans, and welcome to another edition of the Flyer Delphia podcast, part of sportstalkphilly.com and 97.3 ESPN. I'm your host, Kevin Durso, joined by Matt Mastro-Giovanni and Jeff Quake. Not much changed from one week to the next. It was a busy week for the Flyers. There was another trade, two players re-signed, and of course, the NHL draft happened as well. So we'll be breaking down all of that, and we will look ahead also to free agency, discussing some of the restrict the unrestricted free agent possibilities for the Flyers as the weekend opens, and looking at the remaining restricted free agents and trying to put a price on what that will cost the team in their remaining cap space. So I figure we'll start at the beginning where we kind of left off, and for Matt and I at least, where we left off last week, which is right into the NHL draft, and that was really the first bit of activity over the course of the last week. Um, to really start with it, I guess we have to start with the first round and the wave of activity because there was only one trade made during the first round. And it was the flyers trading back from the 11th overall pick to pick up the 14th pick and the 45th pick. And then they did make the selection at 14th overall. They choose defenseman cam York. Uh, Obviously guys, there's a lot that we can talk about around this, this whole thing first with the decision to make a trade to get back further into the first round, get a second round pick back a pick that they had traded previously uh, in the Justin Braun deal. And, and also talking about the player that they selected and some of the other guys who were on the board, both at 11 and 14, some, some at both that some people weren't thrilled about that they passed on. So let's kind of talk about it all the way around and let's start with the first part of that, which was the decision to trade out of the 11th pick and trade back and just go move back three picks later and still, and get the second round pick back, which in my opinion, was brilliant by Chuck Fletcher to get back into the second round. Obviously, later on we'll get into more of why that was brilliant later on because it it had a big impact on day two, but I I thought it was a brilliant idea. You looked at the way that the board was was playing out, and I think that there was, especially once you saw what the selection was, there was a sense that the guy that they wanted was going to be there three picks from then, and to get the second round pick back, I thought was genius. I thought it was a brilliant move on his part to set himself up to get a a good player at 14, and to get a good player in the second round as well. Your guys' thoughts on the trade the decision to trade out of the 11th pick, first of all. Uh, Matt, let's start with you.
1: Well, I was pretty anticlimactic, to be honest. Um, the excitement of the Flyers having a pick like 11, and then um, how things kind of were panning out um, as it got closer to them. It seemed like a guy like uh, Cole Caulfield was there. And uh, we had talked about him being a potential steal for the Flyers if he was available at 11 still. And it gets to be when the Flyers are on the clock and they trade the pick. And they go down to 14, I believe. Um, And again, at 14, Caulfield is still available, which I thought was insane at that point that um, 13 teams had passed up on him already. Um, And then it came down to the... Not only is he on the same team as the guy that they took uh, in Cam York, but it came down to uh, – who is it? Chuck Fletcher that announced the pick um, where he was – he said from the U.S. national development team, and here I am thinking Cole Caulfield, and then he says Cam York, and I was kind of like, what? Like I was just like – I was taken aback initially, but um, my, my initial thought press, process, like I said, was very surprised – because I didn't really know much about Cam York, but um, in the days since, uh, it seems like a solid pick for the Flyers. So, but just uh, a shocking turn of events uh, for me personally, just because of the fact that a guy like Caulfield was still on the board. But I can live with the pick in Cam York.
2: Jeff? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I, well, first things first, I was, you know, just like Matt said, I was pretty shocked the fact that one, uh, Cole Caulfield was still available at 11 and then of course right before the uh announced their pick there was the trade and Chuck Fletcher moves down three picks but then again kind of like what you said Kevin it was very very key to get that second round pick back and that's also why that makes me a little bit more okay with the Justin Braun trade but uh yeah no and the fact that Cole Caulfield was still available at 14 I was pretty hesitant and uh I was really, really expecting Chuck Fletcher to grab Cole Caulfield because he would have been a great fit for the Flyers. Uh, however, Kim York, he actually was on my um, my mm-hmm. own draft uh, prospects to watch out for in the first round for the Philadelphia Flyers to potentially draft. Uh, so obviously I'm still very high on Cam uh, York. I love the pick. Uh, and it really is great work out of Chuck Fletcher to kind of get that second-round pick back and still grab their guy because they uh, saw the direction the way uh, the draft was heading and they, the, the fact that they saw that Cam York was going to be available at 11, Fletcher thought, okay, let's move back a couple picks, grab a, a second-round pick, and you know we can grab uh, a sniper there if if we need to. And also, the biggest reason why this one works out for me Think about all the defensemen that are currently on the Flyers right now. They are all the Flyers' now technically old uh, defense prospects you have. Shane Goss' Bear, Ivan Provorov, Philip Myers, Travis Sanheim, Sam Morin. Uh, even you can throw Robert Haig in there. But this pick allows the Flyers to restock their defense pool back up, and this automatically makes Cam York their essentially their best uh, defensive prospect.
0: Yeah, that was my thought too. And I had somebody actually question me on it a little bit. Like, what do you mean they needed to stock up on defensemen? Don't they have all these guys? And someone someone commented on it for me before I had a chance to get to it. It was like, they're NHL players now. That doesn't make them prospects anymore. So from that that point, I definitely understood where they were going. I kind of was – it was it was funny because when you saw them trade out of 11 and Arizona go up and you, I think the first thought was if Cole Coffey was still on the board – that's who someone's trading up to get, and they traded up to get uh, Victor Soderstrom. So I'm, I'm thinking at that point, well, it's, it's probably like in my mind, I'm going, it's probably not going to be a defenseman because Soderstrom's gone and you had two others taken you know, beforehand. So you're going, who else could it be at this point? Yeah, I really wasn't thinking Cam York at that particular time, especially when there were forwards falling that I would have rated as the best player available at the time. Caulfield being one of them for sure, because it's it sounded really hard to pass on a 72 goal score at 11, which I didn't think was going to be there, and definitely at 14. Um, and I added other names to the list that they passed on as well, if you will, because at 11, they had a shot to get Caulfield, Matthew Boldy, or Peyton Krebs. They had a shot at Krebs again with 14 as well, and I, and I thought that there was something about him that they really liked as well. So I really thought for sure they were going forward, but I understood why they went defenseman to build that back up, to get... I knew in my head right away that it was the first time they had drafted a defenseman in the first round since Ivan Provorov, and that kind of tells you a lot about where their defensive prospects have come. First of all, have come from over the years, how far back you have to go to get to guys like Sam Moran and Travis Sanheim, but also where they're finding other defensemen. Let's, Let's just remember, let's not forget that Phil Myers is a guy who was kind of a diamond in the rough for them, a guy who was undrafted and turns out to be a pretty pretty darn good player. So those are those are things that I like about it. And, and certainly when, when we got to day two, there was more of an understanding. I think I was like anybody else. The initial reaction is, how do you pass on a guy like Caulfield twice? And, and that seems a little frustrating. And I, as I pointed out on Twitter, everybody was looking for that one move that they could all agree with, that everybody was in complete agreement with, and that really excites you. And I don't think Cam York was a pick that excites a lot of people. I think it's going to eventually because part of the success of, and, and and you can do this with a lot of the players that were taken ahead of Cam York at 14 or around that time, I should say, because you can do this with Boldy. You can do it with Caulfield. You can do it with Jack Hughes. That team has a lot of success by having a guy like Cam York on the back end. So you can't discount his role in, in the U S development team. So all of that plays a factor to me. I, certainly came to like the pick a lot. He's mobile, got got the offensive ability. He's a, a solid defender. He plays a decent two-way game. He'll grow into that even more over the years. It's, there's no rush to get him up here with the way that the other prospects have developed. So I, th- I think this could be really good for him where he can take the next two, three, four years to really mold into a professional player, whether it's two years at college and a year in the AHL or something like that. But he'll grow into it. And I think he'll be a really good player down the road. And that kind of takes you from day one to day two, because in the midst of all of the discussion around, they passed on Cole Caulfield twice, they get to day two. And before I, at least I'll say it from my standpoint, before I had even had a chance to really kind of get settled in to watch any of day two, two picks were made. And then all of a sudden here comes the Nashville predators trading the pick to the flyers. Uh, it, it, Pick 34 cost the Flyers 45 and 65, which was the second they had acquired the night before and one of their third round picks. And they go up and they get a a very similar player in, in, in a lot of ways to Caulfield, similar in size, similar in the type of player that he'll be. He's got the shot for sure. And Bobby Brink to me is going to be, I called him... A, a pick kind of like Isaac Ratcliffe was where this is a player that people were talking about as a first round talent that somehow made it to day two. And a few years back when Isaac Ratcliffe made it to day two in the second round, the flyers made a trade to go up and get him and look where he is now in the, in the discussion to be one of those players who can make a lot of noise in training camp to fit a role in, the, in the NHL at some point very soon. And I can see the same thing with break over time with a little bit more time of developing he, he could be a, another player who we hear a lot about over the next few years signs on joins in and becomes a big part of the organization so I, I was a fan of that pick um most of the other picks from day two were kind of kind of expected picks they rounded out that they added a few more defensemen they rounded out with a couple of wingers um they got a goalie as well not the one No, and, and matt knows this from last week too not the one that I had s- said to watch out for because I, I made the everett connection uh, last week and said, Hey, watch out for Dustin Wolf. You never know. He was the guy who came up after Carter Hart to play in Everett, but he ended up going with the, f- uh, the fourth from last pick, I believe to, um, to, to be to Calgary. So that's something there as well. And you've got, um, so Roddy Ross is the goalie they picked. Uh, they added, uh, Ronnie Adderd, Mason Millman as defenseman, two wingers in, uh, and Igor Sergiuk and um, Bryce Brzinski, So two guys who can be good wingers. You yeah, had two wingers, two defensemen, uh, another winger technically on day two if you throw Brink in there as well, a goalie. I think there was good balance. Um, let's go back around with you guys. Uh, Matt, what did you think of day two once they kind of rounded out the draft?
1: I feel like it was pretty, pretty low-key for the most part. Um, I think that uh, Fletcher and the rest of the staff kind of did what they needed to do to – uh like you said, just kind of round uh round up the I guess the the weak spots of what needs to be restocked for the prospect pool uh in regards to getting a couple more defensemen, getting another goalie. Um the one thing I will say um is that Roddy Ross is actually a pretty cool name. Almost sounds like a wrestler name, but um I mean these are all guys with the seven picks they have, I feel like these are all guys that if they uh, if they pan out that the way that they can and they obviously stay with the organization uh, enough to develop and possibly turn into the next, uh, the future flyers. Then I mean, these are good picks. I think uh, I do agree that Bobby Brink is a guy who's comparable to Caulfield, even though I'm still kind of not bitter, but still surprised that they pass on a guy like Caulfield twice. But um, I'll let that go at some point. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean. And just to kind of circle back a little bit, um, again, my, my initial reaction was like uh, I was very taken aback by not getting Caulfield. But then, like you said, like Jeff said, like you kind of realize that all the Flyers prospects, especially on defense, are kind of are pretty much in the NHL now. So it's like it's about time to kind of re-up that cupboard to bring in more guys down the road. But uh, other than that, round like I said, uh, rounds two through seven on day two, pretty much I think pretty quiet for the flyers for the most part. but uh, to sum up their draft as a whole, I would say it's it was um, more more quiet than flashy and maybe not what fans were expecting, especially with a high pick like 11. but I think they they picked a, a good bunch of guys to possibly be the future of this organization.
2: Jeff? Yeah, no, I agree with. Uh... A lot of the things you guys said, you know, great picks, and I think they will all turn out to be, for, you know, for the most part, pretty solid uh, players. Bobby Brink, uh, I, I like his shot, you know, and like you said, Kevin, he does have a similar playing style and everything in uh, goal goal scoring uh, ability to Cole Caulfield. The one thing that I kept hearing about him that uh, he reminds me a bit of uh, Matthew Strom, only because apparently strome along with bobby brink need to work on their skating so that's the only minor concern i'm hoping that he'll at least uh both prospects will grow out of that over time but that's only really the only uh downside i uh, that i have heard about him other than that i think he's a good good pick uh, a lot of you know uh, a lot of People online were saying that the fact that the Flyers got him at 34th overall is a steal. The fact that, you know, again, what you guys were saying, he should have been a first round talent, just like Isaac Ratcliffe should have been. Um, You know, the fact that he was there at 34 for the Flyers was it was amazing. So great pick. Uh, The other picks, uh, you know, it's hard. I I think he uh, was a great pick in the third selection. Another strong defenseman. And, uh, you know, they're they're good, safe picks. Some you know more expected than others, but all in all, I think this is a a real solid uh, draft class from Chuck Fletcher, especially in his first draft class
0: here in Philadelphia. Yeah, to me, the thing that made it a good draft was the second-round pick, And, and not just that it was Bobby Brink necessarily, but the fact that he made a decision on night one to get back into the second round, then use the pick to be able to move up. I don't know that there was any benefit to having two third round picks separated by seven picks like they did. If you can package that into a player that you think has a much better shot to be somebody and that you know is not going to last for another 11 picks, you might as well do that. So I didn't have a problem with that. I, I think that I think that, that might be what determines how successful this draft is. The hard part of doing this is, and we can sit here because I'll, I'll agree with Matt, there's a little bit of a bitterness around Cole Caulfield and the fact that Immediately after you passed on him for the second time, he goes off to Montreal. Could that come back to haunt you in the future? Of course it could, but it, there there's also that thing where is it such is it a sure thing? There's no, there really is no such thing as a sure thing in in the draft unless you are picking in the top three most of the time, and even then you don't always get the best player. So I, I look at that and I go, there's a reason why he was still there at 11 and again at 14 and made it to 15. Some of it is probably size related. There's no denying that, but he's got to go out and prove that those people were wrong to pass on him. And until he does that, there's really no sense in dwelling on it in the same sense that you can't assume that Cam York's going to be a top end defenseman. You can't assume that Bobby Brink's going to make it to the NHL at some point. You can't assume any of those things. What you have to do is hope that they showcase their skills in a way that makes you feel more confident in their abilities down the road the way that w- you want to feel about these guys in another two, three years, the way that we feel now about Morgan Frost and Isaac Ratcliffe, and even a, a year removed from his draft, Joel Farabee, you want to feel like that about those guys. And Joel Farraby was also a 14th pick in So you can get really high quality in that middle portion of the first round. So just, it remains to be seen how they develop. And I thought for the most part that, that second round pick, that ability to possibly add a second first round level talent, first round potential makes a huge difference in, in how the draft should be looked at. Because if you would have waited until 45, taken a player that kind of didn't seem as Matt put it, didn't seem flashy, like, you know, like most of the other picks were, I think we would have been looking at the draft and going, well, that was kind of boring. They played it safe with the first round pick and then they did the same thing with the other picks. I think that at the very least, they have a little bit of potential flash there with with Brink. And that could be, it's going to be way too early to tell, but let's go watch, you know, let's watch him play at the college ranks for the next few years and see what he looks like doing that. Because he could be a really big talent that finds his way onto the radar sooner rather than later. So with the draft behind us, we start to move forward now to an eventful week because, um, on Sunday was when the free agent negotiating period opened. And so far that has been relatively quiet. I, I feel like even, I feel like in the last couple of years, even by this point, we've heard a lot more about guys who have started to kind of state their commitments a little bit as, as you come up on the, the weekend, as you get around Friday and Saturday before everything opens on July 1st, which is usually either Sometimes it's been the Saturday or the Sunday after it's the Monday after that weekend this year. And it's usually you start to hear rumblings. It was the night before July 1st that the word of JVR being committed to basically agreeing to a deal that can become official the next day. So you start to hear those things. And I don't feel like there's been a lot of that around the league in general, more guys resigning. And that's kind of how the Flyers week went as well. They really, realistically, they got off to a really great start with some of their restricted free agents, Travis Sanheim. Signed on Monday for two years at six and a half million. It's a three point two five million average annual value, which I think is a pretty good bridge deal for him to set himself up for success down the road. Especially if he continues to grow like he did a year ago. And that was that was only the first move of the day. Then later that afternoon, they traded forward Ryan Hartman to the Dallas Stars for forward Tyler Pitlick. And that's kind of a essentially a fourth line for fourth line kind of thing, a bottom six for a bottom six swap. Later in the week, they get to Tuesday. Tuesday was when qualifying offers had to be out, so they extended the qualifying offers to Ivan Provarov, Travis Konechny, Scott Lawton, and Nick Aube-Kubel. And those are the four players who now, their rights stay with the Flyers as restricted free agents. They did not extend offers to Justin Bailey or Jacob Graves. Graves was acquired in a trade for Jordan Wheel way back in the early part of the season, one of the first deals that was made. Um, And Bailey was... Kind of like was that guy who was the human yo-yo back and forth uh, between Allentown and Philadelphia last season, and basically they just go into the unrestricted free agent pool at that point. Um, Then you get to Wednesday, and on Wednesday they re-sign Brian Elliott to a one-year, two million dollar deal, making him the backup, essentially the backup goalie to Carter Hart. And that kind of let's let's start there with those three moves before we go further and start to preview what could happen this weekend some of the free agent things that could go on and let's start with Travis Sandheim because like I like I said I think it's a it's a good bridge deal for him it's not something that's over the top uh, in terms of cap space that allows you to still have that flexibility with a couple of the other free restricted free agents to potentially still be in play for somebody else down the road um, as the weekend goes on who knows I'm definitely I thought that outside you know I think I think we were all in relative agreement that Rad Gudis was the most consistent defenseman the team had last season but Travis Sandheim was not far behind he was really growing into a a big role with this team and I I know that to, to have him locked up for the next two years is something that that I think benefits this team greatly what do you guys think Matt
1: I really like this deal uh to put it in uh in simple terms um it's, uh, it's one of those bridge deals where it, it keeps a guy like Sanheim uh, on the team for two more years at a uh, more than reasonable price for a guy like him, especially what he can potentially be. Um, these next two years are going to be uh, big for him, obviously, because he's got to show w- what he can really do as part of this team, uh, step up, obviously, in all areas of his game, and he's going to have to earn – uh, that next contract that I feel like Ivan Pro- Provorov is searching for at this point. But um, yeah, I mean the Sanheim deal all around, I think is a good deal. Like I said, he's just got to, um, he's got to earn his next contract after this one. But um, based off of what we already have seen from him, I think he has very big potential to be um, a top pair guy, possibly with the Flyers in the next maybe two, three seasons. Uh, hopefully they do obviously lock him up for long term if he does do well these next two years but that obviously remains to be seen but like I said I I really like this deal and it's gonna obviously keep him here for the next two years and we'll hopefully get to see him uh really blossom as a player and just obviously as a flyer and hopefully he'll have success and they'll pay him more money reasonably of course but I like it a lot.
0: Jeff your thoughts on Sanheim?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I thought it was a perfect re-signing. Obviously, Sanheim's contract like we all mentioned now, is it's a bridge deal. So, yeah, I'm absolutely content with the two years. That gives him time to grow. And, uh, you know, obviously, it's more than reasonable money, just like Matt said. And taking a look at the defense core right now, you have Matt Niskanen, Shane Gossespierre, Justin Braun, of course, Trevor uh, Sandheim, Ivan Purov, um, You know, you have uh, Robert Hague and Sam Moran in the mix as well. Looking at uh, Cap Friendly right now, you know the fact that he's signed now for two more years. You're you're set for him for uh, you know again for two more years. And the only defenseman you have to worry about re-signing at that point is Justin Braun, uh, David Schlumpko, if you choose to do that, and Robert Hague. So you're you're pretty set for quite some time before having to worry about re-signing any other defenseman. But I thought it was a great defenseman um, re-signing there. Good work by Chuck Fletcher. Uh, And then as for the Brian Elliott deal, I was, uh, honestly, I was a tiny bit surprised the fact that they did offer him a a contract just because of how unfortunate his season went with a lot of injuries, you know, some some bad goals here and there. All in all, it's no surprise that just the whole season was rough for everybody, not just Elliott. Uh, I, I do like Elliot a lot. And the fact that they did get him for, you know, one year, uh, 2 million around that range. I think it was uh 2.1. I'm uh, no, sorry. It, it was uh, 2 million to be exact. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly content with it. I think he'll continue to be a
0: good mentor for Carter
2: Hart. And uh, now my only question is where does this kind of uh, stand with Kim Talbot now?
0: Uh, Matt, your thoughts on Brian Elliot?
1: I think he was probably our best option at this point. Um, Cam Talbot obviously was kind of like here and then not here. So he's uh, I would say he's done with the organization at this point. But um, the one thing I will say, there's two things I have on Elliott that I think are the most important aspects of how he's used in this next year is I think that um, obviously there's been that nagging core injury, I believe, that he's been dealing with the past couple seasons, which forced him to miss uh, some games. But um, the one thing I will say is that I think that that he, people may have kind of turned on him a little bit because, um, back in the 2017 18, so two years ago, uh, I believe was his first year. But, um, looking at his stats, he played every game in the month of September. And for a guy like him, that's got to obviously take a toll and it's got to obviously affect his play and all that. So I think having a new coach, having a guy like Hart, that obviously the Flyers are going to lean on to be their number one at this point. I think that's obviously going to help Elliot kind of relax a little bit. And he obviously will know that he doesn't have to carry as much as a, as much of a load on his back as he would with other goalies that have come through the organization, like Neuvirth, Stolars and the other six guys that came through the Flyers last season. So I really like this signing too. Um, Again, I feel like he's in the latter stages of his his career at this point. Uh, When he first came to the team uh, a couple seasons ago, he sounded like he was really excited. So um, I think he's going to be a good mentor for Hart, and he's going to obviously – hopefully he'll be a good backup. So, yeah, that's all I got to say.
0: I'll say this about Brian Elliott, and there's a lot of of different angles I'm going to take on on this signing for, for a few quick minutes here. Um, first, for, first thought, first of all, I have, I have a ton of respect for Brian Elliott. I think he's a total pro. He always handles himself really well. And if you asked him to, as, as I think we've seen, if you asked him to make 10 starts in a row, he'll make 10 starts in a row. If you asked him to be the backup and a veteran presence for a young kid, who's going to get more of the starts, I th- I think he's willing to do that as well, which is why we're where we are right now with this and being able to sit there and say, Brian Elliott is the the backup goalie essentially, or the 1B option. At first glance, I thought that $2 million sounded like a little bit too much for a one-year deal at, at first glance, given the cap space and given what the role would be. But looking back on it, and, and I'm, I th- not even necessarily looking back on it and going by the role necessarily, because I think the role is not, not to be a backup, but to be a 1B option, to be a guy who can get a decent number of starts without taking away from Carter Hart, but get a decent number of starts to be a good player and to be a a reliable guy that you can put in there and know what you're going to get, I think that's kind of fair at the end, and what it did to the cap space too. To see what the cap space looked like after the deal was on the books, you kind of take a breath for a minute and you go, there's still a good amount of space available after that as well, and it took care of one of the glaring needs that was left in the offseason. So with that much, I can get behind it 100%. For me, the whole signing of, of Elliott here relies on his health, and it, it, as long as he can stay healthy, he is a perfectly viable 1B option. There's no question about it. I look back, the the game that says it all for me, is the stadium series game because you made an interesting call there without announcing Carter Hart having an injury at first. So you made an interesting call and made Brian Elliott the starter without telling people that your, your sense, your rookie sensation of a goalie was injured at the time. Um, and you go ahead and you do that and put Brian Elliott in that game. And did he have a goal that he wishes he had back? Of course, but Aside from that, to face 43 shots, to get really relatively peppered by the Pittsburgh Penguins in that first period, and throughout the rest of the game as well, to get to to facing 43 shots and make 40 40 saves, that's a game where he had to keep you in in that first period. You came out of the first period of that game tied 1-1. He proved to be a difference maker in a game like that, which at the moment was about the only thing you had left to hang on to when people talked about your playoff hopes. That was a turn turn of events kind of game that made people think they're not dead yet. And to be able to rely on him in that spot, to be able to know that you can roll him out for several starts in a row if need be, you hope not, But if need be, that's that's a good feeling to have with a goalie as your one b option. I don't think that Dave Haxel ever used Brian Elliott the way he's intended to be used, especially at his age, and that's where the injuries have come from because leading up to that, he was a relatively healthy guy. So, you you have to keep that injury stuff in mind, but you have to also don't ignore what the performances were because in the year that they did make the playoffs and face the Penguins, he had a big responsibility in getting them to the playoffs and, and putting together a really good season. And unfortunately, injuries really took took their toll last season as they went through goalie after goalie after goalie to eventually get to Carter Hart and now make this less of, less of a, a, a move that's about the starter. I think if people had to think about it and go, well, maybe it was intended to be Carter Hart's year at this time and he never got to the NHL last year, if that's the way that things would have gone and Elliott stays healthy the whole year and they don't need to get get a guy like Cam Talbot to be around as an extra guy as well, then maybe people think about the Elliott signing differently and they look at it and they go, what are they signing this guy for to possibly roadblock Carter Hart? And I don't think that's the case anymore because Carter Hart got a shot Kind of ran with it, and he's definitely a factor. He should be—he should be no question a starter. But obviously, they're going to play a little coy with it and make it seem like there's more of a competition than there is. And I do believe that in part because I do think that while I, while I totally believe that Carter Hart's going to start the first game of the season in the Czech Republic and start the home opener and all of that type of stuff. As the season goes on, if performance warrants that Elliott goes in for a game here or there, then performance will dictate that, and you may have to do that. It, it, you know, Carter Hart's not going to go through an entire season without a few bumps in the road. So I, I assume that Elliott's going to be here to be that spell for him, to give him a break when needed, to make sure he's not overworked and to make sure that there's a balance in goal. Cause I think that that's something that the Flyers could have used last season and the season before that as well, because it, that didn't come without injuries as well. So, but I was a, overall, I'm a fan of the signing. I definitely think that Elliot was more willing to take on the role that was being asked. I think that when you look at Cam Talbot, I, you know, I, I don't think that there was much of a difference between Elliot and Talbot in terms of the confidence I would have had in the goalie or the ability necessarily, because Talbot's had had some really good years. and uh, Elliot's had some good years. But I think when it came down to it, Cam Talbot wants to be a starter and thinks he still can be a starter. and and there's nothing wrong with that. At, at this stage of his career, it's just more or less that it, you needed a guy who was willing to kind of be that that player, that role model for Carter Hart, who's probably going to get the bulk of the starts next year. That's just my guess. Um, so now let's kind of shift gears from the re-signings and let's talk about, uh, let's briefly talk about the trade that happened on Monday as well. The uh, T- Tyler Pitlick coming over to the Flyers in return for Ryan Hartman, and I mean, There's not a ton that I feel like we can talk about with this because I think that – I think we got to see a little bit of what kind of player Ryan Hartman was, that he's a bottom six kind of energy type of guy. And I I think Pitlick could be a guy who is similar in a lot of ways. He's definitely going to fit into the bottom six, I think more so on the fourth line. Hartman kind of could hover between that line a little bit better, but Pitlick doesn't lack – scoring ability or anything like that. Like, it's not like you're going to rely on a bottom six guy for that, but he doesn't lack it either. I think he's, I think he's a decent compliment piece, quite frankly, to a guy like Scott Lawton, um, and, and, and to Michael Roffel as well. But you know, I, I don't know that I would be disappointed in if Pitlick is the 12th guy who makes the fourth line or the 13th guy who gives you some depth. I think it's a very cost effective move because I think Hartman wanted too much money. Uh, Matt, what did you think of that
1: Yeah, I I definitely agree with what you're saying, where my main thing is that um, with what I know about Pitlick and Hartman, uh, like you mentioned before, it was pretty much a a fourth liner for a fourth liner at this point. But um, I I agree in the fact that I feel like Pitlick is going to be one of those guys where he's either going to be that 12th forward or he's going to be that guy that's there for maybe to give, I, I guess, to give someone a rest. If that were to happen, or to slot in as just like the the extra forward at one point, but um, he's I feel like he's just mainly there as more of a depth guy, maybe more of a grinder. Uh, obviously, to press the forecheck on the other team on the fourth line, play physical, all the stuff that really a bottom six guy would do for the most part. But um, I've like I can't really see him making too much of an impact, obviously, because there's still I feel like some. Some or even a lot of speculation on how the Flyers' lines are actually going to shape out once training camp and all that gets underway. But Pitlick, Pitlick is a good guy if you need him. He's, I feel like he's more of a utility guy than anything else. But um, I wouldn't mind seeing him play, obviously, but he's just going to be one of those kind of low-key guys who's, like I said, is just going to be uh, be there to kind of just force force the other team to make a turnover stuff like that. So, um, and then I guess on the subject of Hartman, there's really not much to talk about. He was kind of a in and out guy. Um, I believe he's going to be a free agent at this point because he was not given a qualifying offer by the stars. I think, yeah, you're right. Yeah. All right. But, and the, the kind of funny and awkward part was that he went off the grid, quote unquote, when all (laughs) this happened, so he might still not know that this is going on, which is crazy. But aside from that, um, he wasn't really much of an impact guy for the Flyers in the in the few games he was here. Um, I was actually lucky to be in attendance at in his first game um, when he had that big hit on Rasmus Dahlin, I believe. So that was obviously loved by the Flyers fans, and he made uh, a literal immediate impact. But other than that, I mean, he was pretty quiet from then on until the end of the season. And then knowing that he was going to become a free agent and like you also mentioned, he kind of wanted too much money. So the flyers are like, all right, like, I guess we, it's time to part ways. So yeah, I mean, obviously I wish him luck in his future endeavors uh, wherever they may be, but obviously he's just not a part of the team anymore.
0: Jeff, your thoughts.
2: Yeah, no, I think you guys are spot on. Uh, To me, this kind of move, I think says we would have liked to possibly have resigned Ryan Hartman depending on the price and everything. but you know of course it does sound like his price uh, might have been way too high, therefore, you know just trade him uh, for Tyler Pitlick and uh, you know fourth line for fourth line and Pitlick only has one year left with one million cap hit. So that's also a key thing for the Philadelphia Flyers as they currently sit at uh, 15.1 mil in cap space. So I, I think that does really help the fact that uh, they don't have to feel the need to overpay Hartman. And, uh, you know, obviously he's going to be a UFA. I wish him the best of luck. But for Pitlick, uh, he mentioned via the uh, Flyers Public Relations uh, quote i'm a physical north skating player i can score and make plays when i get the chance i'm going to be physical and i'm going to create energy and compete as hard as i can you know that is the type of attitude and, and play you would like to see from a guy like that um he only finished with 12 points in uh 47 games eight goals four assists because he missed a, a majority of the uh the season due to wrist surgery in february but uh I think it could also be a similar situation to a Justin Bailey situation last year where, uh, you know, either an extra forward or, you know, he would see some ice time if maybe someone's struggling or someone gets hurt or, you know, possibly gets uh, sent back and forth between uh, Philly and Lehigh Valley. You never know. But I think if anything, he'll, he'll just be the extra forward and, uh, you know, still get some ice time, hopefully. And uh, I'm excited to see what he can bring to the table.
0: I want to add something to this too, with um, with with the trade as well, because one of the things I saw a lot about, uh, after Ryan Hartman was traded, was that what what is I got a lot I saw a lot of people on Twitter saying things like, well, what what does this mean out of the Simmons deal? It literally means like that, that they got nothing for Wayne Simmons. That's in my opinion, I think that's very misguided, um, because first of all. Ryan Hartman in in the brief time that he played in Philadelphia actually outproduced Wayne Simmons in Nashville. Simmons had 1 goal and 2 assists. Hartman had 2 goals and 4 assists. And then to top it all off too, what what really changes about the situation? Hartman was a, just because Hartman was a restricted free agent. You know, that's the difference maker I suppose, but otherwise Hartman's now a free agent that can sign wherever he wants to because he didn't get a qualifying offer. Wayne Simmons is not going back to Nashville either because they've already said that they are not bringing him back so I don't see how that's getting something for nothing Simmons is out there going to some other team anyway which is exactly the situation you would have been in this 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 offseason assuming that you weren't interested in bringing him back on a deal and Hartman's off on another team as well or will be going to another team as well so I don't really see that I don't see the correlation there between it being a lost deal and get and getting nothing for Wayne Simmons. When Wayne Simmons went to Nashville, didn't produce as many points and ended up not really being as big of an impact player for Nashville in a playoff run as they thought he was going to be. And now he's back on the market doing the same thing that Ryan Hartman is looking for a team. I I just don't, I don't agree with that that connection.
2: No, I agree with that. And not only that, but think about this, uh, Chuck Fletcher, he also got a fourth round pick for, I believe 2020 as well. Uh, it was a conditional fourth round pick if uh, Nashville won a playoff series, which of course they did not against, uh, I believe it was Dallas. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a fourth round pick. So, all by
0: the end of the day, you know, the Flyers do get that extra pick, which helps a lot. Exactly. I, I just didn't see the connection at all. Um, let's go into a couple different things about free agency and this weekend. And I think there's two different sides to free agency. One of the things that I wrote about this week was in regards to how free agency in this weekend, we always try to talk up the big names and, oh, somebody, maybe they'll sign and make a big splash in free agency. We, you know, There was rumors throughout the season that when free agency hit, assuming Eric Carlson made it to free agency, that that would be a target. He never made it to free agency, obviously, and things like that. But, and last season, it didn't seem like there was anybody big who they were going to go after. And next thing you know, they're signing James and Emsdyke, who was one of the, uh, for a lot of people, a top five free agent last season, for sure. Um, I think that this this free agency weekend right now is more of a focus on where the money for Ivan Provorov, Travis Konechny, and Scott Lawton is coming from first and foremost, before you can give any more of it away. You need to kind of have an idea of what they're going to sign for, and that's a really difficult thing to do when it's hard to get a feel for what Ivan Provorov is going to ask for, and it's really hard to get a feel for what Travis Konechny is going to Ask for, I, I feel like Scott Lawton's the most predictable of those of the restricted free agents to kind of give a, a a range. I don't think you know he was making about a million dollars last year. I don't think he makes more than one point five million this year at most. So I think that you're getting him cost effective as it is. It's more or less if Provrov wants to go after that eight million dollar contract and and make it a long term deal. Uh, what kind of deal connectney gets, whether it's a bridge deal or it's a long-term deal. And again, the money that's involved with that, th- those are the big questions. So I want to ask you guys, what do you think that those guys will end up getting when it, when it comes time for them to sign deals? Because that could be a lot of what's remaining with the cap space, the 15.1 million that they have left for right now. A lot of that sounds like it's going to go towards those restricted free agents and it's going to tie up it's kind of going to tie the hands I think of Chuck Fletcher this weekend when you'd like to maybe make one more signing here or something like that. So Matt, what do you think those three guys are going to end up getting
1: on the topic of the Connecticut deal? I'm thinking that I feel like he could get a deal similar to Sandheim because I feel like he's still such a young guy that he still has to kind of prove himself in a way that he wants to obviously stay here for a long term and should be here for a long term. Um, I believe he had back-to-back 24 goal seasons. So, I mean, that's good for a guy like him, obviously. And he's played top six minutes and played with, obviously, the top six on the Flyers. Guys like Giroux, Couturier, Voracek, JVR. So, I mean, he's obviously playing with the big guns of the team and um, as a fan. And, obviously, everyone else probably wants this, too, that they just want him to succeed, continually succeed. Uh, in the upcoming seasons, so I could see him getting maybe just a tad bit more money than Sandheim, probably because obviously he's a forward and they're dependent on more to score in obviously in in game situations. So, but um, my my personal prediction is that I think he gets maybe um a bridge deal like Sandheim's, and then he'll have to record uh he'll have to earn that next long term deal, um. And then, uh, Provorov, I think he's he's gonna want that long term deal, maybe five six years. Um, I did see earlier on Twitter today from uh, from Sam Carcitti, um He he's thinking Provorov gets six years at seven million per year, which I feel like is a little high money wise. But if my opinion and my feeling is that if you're gonna have the guy play, likely number one defenseman minutes, then he's obviously going to want that type of money. So I'm a little bit worried about the Provorov deal. I feel like they will get to a deal sooner than later, but I'm just a little bit worried about how how much and what the term is going to be. And I will say that it's going to be – in a. the Flyers will go into crisis mode if somehow Provorov gets offer sheeted because I believe that's all that other teams can do at this point since he's a restricted free agent. But and that hasn't happened in a while in the league. So I think it's unlikely, but it's just something that you never know could happen if another team obviously has the space to do that and kind of handcuff the Flyers. But I could just be crazy talking about that. So, But they just obviously I, I want them to lock him up sooner than later. And hopefully it's obviously a, a deal that benefits both sides.
0: I'll jump in before I go and send it over to Jeff. I'll jump in and I'll tell you right now. I don't think there's a chance in hell that there anybody's getting off or sheeted. Yeah. Even even Mitch Marner. I don't think anybody in the league is getting off sheeted. There have been a few tweets that come out with people who are talking to either agents or uh, or front office people or whatever that laugh about the idea that an offer sheet's going to happen this off season I, for I all the to, talk I, about it.
1: I had to I had to say it just in case, but. Yeah, I I believe it's well. The, it's good. there are
0: people out there. There are people out there who sit there and go, "We, why is it all the talk about forwards with offer sheets?" There's some really good defensemen out there. Yeah, who are who are you know because it's not just Ivan Provorov. It's Zach Warensky and Charlie McAvoy who are restricted free agents as well. And the problem right now for teams like the Flyers is you'd like to be able to go ahead and and target other players potentially because you do still have a spot in your lineup that you could fill with somebody who's on the market perhaps, but you've got yeah, specifically Provorov more than Konechny, I think, but Provorov, who is among a group of other defensemen who are restricted free agents all in the same age group who are waiting to see what the market value is going to be set at before they really get heavy into negotiations, it seems. And that's why you've got a guy. I mean, it's, it's funny because I've seen 8 million floated around for like what Provorov might be asking per year or something like that. And it's, and, and and my guess of what like there's you're wondering where that came from. My guess is what's the only big defenseman contract that he has from this off season that he has to base it off of? It's Herrick Carlson's eleven and a half million dollar per year. Like that's the only contract you have to go off of right now. And he's not worth that yet, obviously. But you want to be careful about it because you have to sit there and kind of ask yourself where do you see him in six years? And in six years, is that the kind of money he could possibly be worth when? The salary cap keeps going up every year, and is expected to over the course of even the next two seasons. So that's where that kind of comes from. But I don't think any. You know, I don't think there's a threat, as much of a threat of offer sheets as people think there are. Um, uh, Jeff, your thoughts now on what you th- what you think Provorov, Konechny, and and even Scott Lawton could get with the uh, remaining cap space.
2: Absolutely. Well, I, I'll start with the easiest one. Obviously, it's going to be Scott Lawton. Uh, you could see anywhere between. Uh, or I think honestly, uh, last contract he signed was a two-year deal. You could see something very similar to that. He's slowly but surely breaking out to be uh, the type of player that fans were hoping for. Uh, he did score a career high in points, goals, and assists. Uh, Twelve goals, twenty assists, and thirty-two points overall. And he he played his heart out every single game that he was in. And uh, you know, I, I'm. Easily become a, a, a relatively big fan of Lawton's game. And, you know, he's done well in the penalty kill as well, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, I think it'll be easy to lock him up. Travis Konechny, uh kind of like what Matt said, you could definitely see a bridge deal for him as well. But for him, I could see kind of like a, a two to three year deal uh, for him. Even uh, perhaps, you know, he has the potential to be a real, real good player for the Flyers for several years to come with his speed and scoring ability. Uh, it will certainly be key to have him continue playing alongside Sean Couturier and Claude Giroux. I just hope that Alain Vigneault uh, can, uh, has seen enough footage from his game last year to make the decision to keep him up there. That's where I think he's going to be the most lethal. Uh, I, I'm still kind of trying to figure out what the numbers will be for Lawton and uh, Konechny because, again, it kind of does come down to um, – what Proverov's deal would be. That, that, that's just what I think. But looking at uh, a tweet from Sam Carcitti, the Flyers do have about 16.2 mil in, um, sorry, uh, 15.1 mil in cap space. And Proverov connecting in line will eat up a good chunk of that. So it's it's going to be you know, hard to say what they could do with that going forward.
0: Yeah, I got I got to ask this question because I thought I actually thought that 15.1 million was a decent amount left when you consider that everything else has been relatively taken care of. But the only thing that, that hasn't been taken care of this offseason is one more winger to go on the in the bottom six somewhere, preferably third line and more defined as a third line guy who can play alongside Nolan Patrick and Oscar Lindblom. Presumably, I'm assuming that, uh, that, you know, I'm assuming that you can, uh you can mix and match a little bit down there, but I think that uh, we've, we've talked about this before where I think that the second line, now that Kevin Hayes is officially aboard, it's going to be Hayes with JVR and, and Jake Voracek is part of a line there. And, and that could always be interchanged, but that's really the only spot you have left to really address. So the money can kind of go to these three guys and you can see what you have. I, I, I think Lawton, like I said, when we started this part of it, I think that, Lawton's for sure um, less than two million dollars, probably closer to 1.5, something much much along the lines of that two-year deal that Jeff was talking about. I think that that's exactly what he fits into. Um,
2: and then one more thing uh, real quick about Ivan Provorov Kevin mm-hmm. So uh, it, it was announced that kind of at the end of his uh, sorry at the, uh, his exit date interview, Provarov himself basically said that he did not expect his camp and the flyers to have difficulty coming to terms on a new deal. Like whatever form that takes, you know, uh, he he did say, uh, "I love everything here, love the guys, and love the organization. Everything about Philadelphia. It's not going to be a problem. I'm just a, a little surprised that it's taken this long. But I, you know, of course, by the end of the day, I still expect Ivan Provorov to remain in Philadelphia. And <clears throat> excuse me. And you know, I think it does kind of come down to what you were saying earlier, Kevin. With uh, he's trying to see what." type of deal he could get and we do know his agent Mark Gandler can at least at at least what I've understood he can be a little difficult in uh, in the past he didn't really get along with Ron Hextall that well I'm just hoping that it won't be the same issue for Chuck Fletcher
0: yeah I mean to try to put a price tag on the other two guys is is difficult because you know how much cap space you're going to have and I like like I said I assume Lawton's deal gets done quicker than the others per, per se, I think that that could happen. And I think that you could easily be sitting there looking at something in the range of 13.6 million left to sign two players. I, I think you can easily get that done. Um, The bigger thing is is how much... Er, the bigger thing, I guess, is what kind of... I feel like there's no doubt that Provrov's looking for a long-term deal. So I think it's what kind of deal Konechny gets that makes the difference here. And I could kind of see it going both ways. I was asked how much do I think each guy is going to get um, and I kind of leveled it off where I, my, my thought is Provorov is getting six and a half million at least. So I w- I think it starts there and it will increase as, as either the market sets itself or as he works out, works everything out. And then negotiations play out in his favor, um, that he would end up with that kind of a deal. Um, I, I, I believe that Provrov is looking for something in that long term range of seven, like maybe up to seven years, even to be able seven or you know even eight years to be around and be that guy as long as possible. And and I my concern is just I don't know that you want to put out any more than maybe seven million a year on a guy like that right now, especially when he didn't have the greatest year last season. Granted, he played I think he played a chunk of it at the beginning, still dealing with an injury from the previous year. Uh, in the playoffs, so I, I think that that's certainly not all on him. He tried to gut it out for the team, and it doesn't always work out that way, but I do think that he's trying to get the biggest deal possible, and I'm worried that it's going to be a little bit too much for my liking at this stage of his career. Down the road, it probably turns out to be a bargain, especially if it's a seven-year deal and he's making seven and a half eight million $8 million a year. Four or five years from now, that's going to be a bargain. In the immediate, it's going to be too much, but that's kind of how you have to play those things with connect My guess was around four and a half million. And I'm, I kind of did that based on, I, I get the feeling that if connect was going to do a bridge deal, I feel like we'd be much closer to hearing about it by now, instead of going through this long negotiation and not knowing what the, what the market value is. If you were going to get a bridge deal, I feel like you would do something in the two to three year range and you'd be okay with the same kind of three and a half mil or three mil and be okay with it. Especially when you look at what your previous deal was as an entry level deal, I I start to get the sense that, and I said four and a half million because in my head I'm thinking of the deal that Shane Bear got, and I'm thinking that's a good that's a good benchmark to look at for Konechny, a, a six year deal that in the beginning may look like it's a little bit much to some people, but it's definitely a bargain down the road. Th- that's kind of the marking I have for it, and, and and I looked at it that way too because in my head I'm trying to think of it from a sense of. If Provorov, Konechny, and, and Lawton sign for six and a half million per year, four and a half million per year, and one and a half million per year, then you still end up with about somewhere between two and a half and three million dollars left to the cap, and that's enough money to to fill out the rest of your lineup to have some depth. Realistically, in the current state that the lineup's in right now, they don't need anything else in terms of depth more than another another forward. Because they actually have enough defensemen to still fill out the depth. They they currently, well, if you include David Schlemko as well, they have nine defensemen, and real and and presumably that's going to go down to at least eight, you know, a minimum, a maximum. So, the, if you get another guy who can be the thirteenth forward, that's all you would need outside of trying to sign a third, um, a third right winger potentially, and I think that that's where you could kind of cap it off and especially if you bury Schlemko's contract in the AHL as well, that's going to free up a little bit more cap space. So you might have all of that two and a half, three million a half, $3 million to spend knowing that what you get from Schlemko's contract being buried could be enough to have that one extra depth guy who has a very minimal contract, but can fill the, fill the role when needed and, and be that player. Uh, that would be ideal and give you a little bit of room to do something in the next couple of days. But I'm not so sure how likely that looks just because there's so much uncertainty around this. And if you take that around what twelve, twelve and a half million dollars that I just put together with those three players and turn it into eight million, five million, and two million, you're out of cap space. So that's that's the that's the fine line that the flyers are walking right now. and I don't think they're going to have an issue with Lawton in that regard because I think Lawton, there's a possibility that Lawton could take less than what I'm expecting off of that but it's the rest of the guys that it's the other two that concern me the most in terms of how that plays out with the rest of your cap now yeah, for- go, go ahead Jeff
2: yeah I was going to say it's it's more so I'm not uh, you know I'm a tiny bit worried about Travis Konechny not entirely but again it's I think it's all more so Ivan Provarov. obviously he's an elite defenseman I'd expect a minimum four year deal and a maximum six year deal for Prorov. Uh the Flyers just my big thing is the Flyers and Chuck Fletcher just want to make sure that they lock him up lock him up right now for quite some time because he's going to be that number one defenseman for Philadelphia and uh you know obviously it's he's going to make a, a good amount of money it's new secret but uh i, I honestly I, i'm not sure what type of deal he's going to expect uh to get out of all of this by the end of the day
0: yeah um So what I wanted to do now was kind of shift gears and and go over as we wrap, get ready to start wrapping things up very soon uh, and look at the the free agency weekend and start a free agency. And there's a couple of, there's certainly plenty of possibilities for the Flyers to fill out that third line right wing slot that's open right now. And while keeping in mind that it could always be an internal decision, whether it's you know, with, with one of these top prospects, maybe you have something else in mind. You know, it's, it's hard to get a read on what this team is completely thinking sometimes because they've, they've just been wheeling and dealing like crazy. But certainly that's a possibility that somebody who's at development camp this week is the, is the guy who's on the radar to be that guy in the third line right wing spot or, or one of the third line wing spots because I'm sure you could play around with it and interchange some people there as well. Um Now, in terms of... Of targets, uh, any, anybody that you guys are thinking of right now that you believe would be um, good possibilities or guys who could be on the Flyers' radar this weekend if they decide to make another roster move? Matt?
1: A couple guys. I think that could be good options uh, depending on the, the money standpoint. Obviously, that's big at this point with the uh, with what the Flyers have to do with their RFAs. But um, a guy like Matt Succarello could be a possible target in my opinion. Also a guy like um, Anders Lee from the Islanders, um, and then I'm trying to think, uh, I don't want to be the guy that says they should sign Simmons again, but I don't, I think Simmons is kind of, as much as I hate to say it, as a fan, I feel like he's kind of beyond the, beyond what the Flyers are trying to do at this point, but I mean, I, I don't know, again, it's one of those things where it's kind of like one of those like crazy like UFO guy predictions, but for the right money, I guess maybe it would be a good idea, but I don't think it's likely to happen. But um, two guys, yeah, two guys like Zuccarello and uh, Lee for the right money and for maybe just trying to slot them in the right spot could be two viable options for the Flyers, at least on the free agency market. Um, we can obviously talk about um, who could possibly even come out of training camp and make the team, but. Um, I'll let you guys take it with uh, the free agency at this
0: point. Sure, Jeff, your your targets for this weekend potentially. I
2: have uh, three names on here that uh, you know the Flyers could potentially grab. I'm assuming it, uh, again, uh, but then they it all comes down to w- how much money they'll have left, and in that case, at least in my opinion, it's clear that they'll only be able to grab one pretty good free agent or, uh, you know, for, for a pretty decent price, uh, you know, kind of like Matt said, keep an eye out for Wayne Simmons. I understand that Simmons, uh, Simmons and his agent have been talking to Philadelphia. I wouldn't be too surprised if he did go back. However, it has been rumor that he would like anywhere between three to five years, but I don't know if it seems willing to give him that kind of money or years depending on the price. Uh, The only reason I see him actually going back to Philly is on a much shorter uh, deal. Um, The other two guys I have on my list, this one might be a bit of a stretch. However, uh, Joe Pavelski, I think he'd be a great fit in orange and black. I believe he's around 35 right now and does sound like the Sharks are having a very, very tough time in resigning him. And they might end up letting him walk in order to resign someone uh, like Gustav Nyquist. Uh, If that is the case, I think it's worth paying that extra bit of money to grab Pavelski, who can certainly help on the power play, uh, put him in front of the net. He's fantastic at tipping pucks, uh, just like we saw in Game 7 in Round 1 against the Vegas Golden Knights. And you can also throw him on the wing, so put him on the second-line wing, uh, being centered by uh, Kevin Hayes and uh, or, or even uh, through Jake Voracek or uh, Pavelski on the second third line, kind of fighting back and forth between that. My last guy, Marcus Johansson, he's an ideal and realistic UFA signing for me. Uh, I think it'll be great, uh, a great, great fit for him for Philadelphia. He does bring scoring and some speed to the lineup. I do give Don Sweeney a lot of credit from uh, the Boston Bruins general manager to make a good trade inquiring him during the deadline. I don't know if Boston's will want to or if they can re-sign him. But if they don't, I would send him uh, a contract as soon as I could. If I was Chuck Fletcher, I
0: had I had one common name to both of you guys, and I also had Wayne Simmons. And I floated that question in an article this week that really took off big time, kind of because it's a question that you have to consider. And, and there's it, it's really it's strange because there's mixed reviews from people who have tweeted back about it or anything like that. Where there's people who are absolutely go ahead and do it, love the idea, and that's those are the fans that kind of. Look at it and go. It's it, it that's kind of more of a heart move than anything. Like they're thinking with their hearts there and going, "I want to see this guy back because he should have never left in the first place." I look at I look at Simmons and I go, "I don't. I just don't know that he's going to take less money or less years to be in a specific role. He would very clearly be a third line winger at that point, at, at minimum." And you know, I don't see him. Accepting a role like that at this stage of his career, I think he's. I think he thinks he's still got a lot to offer. I almost wonder if you could get away with. Uh, like, I think one things, one of the things that makes Simmons actually a realistic possibility, is the idea that he might be one of those few guys, and I don't think there's going to be many of them. But there's a handful of guys that don't sign on July first because they don't find the right fit immediately, or there's not as much interest as they anticipated. And I wonder if he's going to be out there trying to look for something knowing he's got great involvement in the community in Philadelphia. The fans love him. He loves the fans. He loves playing here. And the idea being maybe at the end of the day, maybe that, you know, maybe all it is is a two year deal for $4 million, you know, total. So two, two million each year. And that becomes enough for him after after having the bigger contract because that's the best that he feels like he can get. Uh, it would be interesting to see for sure. Now I kind of looked at it, looked into that third line kind of role a little bit. Tried to find guys who kind of matched the pricing that was going to be available. So I try I tried not to, without going crazy with it, tried not to exceed the three to three and a half million mark, because I'm trying I'm trying to kind of be realistic with the types of guys that they could target to still fit under the cap. So, at the top, the kind of where I started was uh, Brent Connolly uh, with who played for Washington. He's a guy who certainly could fit a role, certainly could be be a decent player in this system. And I, I just wonder if the money's gonna match up. That would be the biggest thing because I don't think he's gonna get some crazy long term deal. He's gonna probably get he'll look for some he'll probably look for something like four or five years or maybe even six, but i I see him being in the two to four year range maybe on the lower end of that. So I I think a a guy like him for three years isn't a terrible deal, uh, especially if you can keep the price low. Um, Next guy on my list is, is Junis Donskoy. I think he's another guy who's again, San Jose is going to have some trouble signing some guys. And if they want to keep player a and player B and do this, you know, if they want to keep a guy, if they want to try to find a way to keep a guy like Joe Pavelski, if they want to bring back Patrick Marlowe, who's now a free agent because he was bought out by Carolina after the trade from Toronto, if they want to can keep somebody like Gus Nyquist, then you're going to have to part ways with somebody, and that's probably that. And they've got and they've got restricted free agents that they've got assigned to. So it, there's a lot of moving parts to San Jose's picture, and I just I just don't know that Donkoy is going to end up making it back to that team. And if you can get him at a decent price, I think he could be he might be the perfect guy to fill that role around the type of money he could get, the term he could get the role he would play and I don't think I think if you give him that right deal he's the type of guy that in another year you can easily slot backwards into the fourth line where Pitlick would play at this stage of, at this stage of things and he still fills a good role for you while you bring in another uh, maybe you bring in a kid so I think that's exactly where this could be going and he's a, he's the type of player I could see them making a deal with I also put Nyquist down though too because I, I am a fan of Nyquist. I like him as a player. He's probably a little bit out of the price range, but you know you wonder if you you kind of shoot your shot here and see if there's any way you can get him on a good cost effective deal. It's a little different because I feel like with Simmons, the other thing we were talking when we talk about Wayne Simmons is he's the type of guy that because he likes playing here so much that in a way it's a rare situation where an un- unrestricted free agent could could kind of play the hometown discount card a little bit, especially if options are thin. Because of the fact that you like it there so much. But I think that these are I think that the other players that I'm mentioning here are more effective players at this time in their career. And I, I just don't know how much you want to have a guy, as much as everybody likes to see Wayne Simmons in orange and black and likes the heart that he brings and and feels him to be an energy guy. I just wonder what kind of production you're gonna get from him, because I don't think you're gonna get the same production. And it might be okay as a third liner. But I worry that you're signing. He's gonna sign a deal that reflects the production he was putting up as as recently as two seasons ago, and I don't think he's that player anymore. Uh, other, I mean, I had a few other names on here too. Um, I have Michael Furland on the list just to see what you can get for him, or see what he would cost potentially. Um, I also put Alex Chase on on the list because I think that he's a guy with Edmonton last year who had a pretty decent offensive year and could you know, from what, from my understanding, hasn't really had a a big contract yet. So he might be somebody who you can get at a pretty low term and low, low AAV. And I think you could make that work. Uh, The only other name I put on there to kind of go back and play off of the Wayne Simmons type of decision is every time this happens, we have to kind of, I feel like we bring it up every time this situation is, is there. And when Justin Williams is a free agent, I feel like we always mention he might, you know, maybe he comes back to the flyers. Maybe, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's either Carolina or bust at this point for him, but it's still worth floating it out there.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, I think like you said, uh, Don Skoy or Conley, at least in my opinion, uh, I think those two are excellent picks as well, because for San Jose, they currently have 14.8 mil and they also have to resign Kevin LeBlanc and Timo Meyer. I know, Meyer will get a pretty good chunk. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the numbers are, but th- those two were very key in their playoff run uh, this past season, of course. But for Don Squire, he's a uh, had a 1.9 mil cap hit, 37 points in 80 games. I, I think he would be the ideal uh, depth uh, player. You saw what type of role he played in San Jose. He was great. Uh, he was. He's only 27 years old. I think that's a good fit there. Connolly, who's also 27. He put up 46 points in 81 games this past season. Not only that, but if the Flyers were to grab him, that would be big because every time I feel like Washington plays Philadelphia, he always is a major thorn in the Flyers side. He put up three points in one of the last games uh, against the Flyers, and uh, he only had a 1.5 mil uh, cap hit. So I think that would certainly be worth exploring.
0: Matt, any final thoughts from you?
1: I think there's really a lot that the Flyers kind of have to deal with at this point um, between the, the restricted free agents in uh, Konechny, Provorov, and Lawton that they still have to sign. Um, they've obviously figured some things out um, already going into this upcoming season, but um, mainly the free agency situation, whether it's restricted or the, the market guys that could possibly come here, they just have to obviously figure out a way to Get what they need to get and what they would potentially want to get, obviously, um, in a in a cost friendly way, and it obvious it has to also benefit the team. Um, so it's really I feel like at this point you just kind of have to wait and see, and maybe just let things fall into place, and then go from there.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. It's it's going to be interesting to see this weekend, just because I feel like for all the things we just talked about with possible targets, I feel like it's going to be a light weekend. I I got this weird sense that it's not going to be a very active one that they've done a lot of their groundwork already and made their decisions through trades. And now at the same time, I, I, there's always the possibility that, 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 you know, that, that big blockbuster deal happens or something like that. There's that somebody big gets moved and I wouldn't put it past Chuck Fletcher at this point for sure. But more or less, I think when you're just focusing on the players that are on the open market and the possibility of signing a guy, I think it's probably a relatively quiet weekend. And I don't think there's a whole lot that we're going to have, you know, to go over next weekend about that, or, you know, about that in particular. Maybe there is, but you know, so we'll see, but it's going to definitely be interesting. Uh, so that's going to do it for this episode of the Flyer Delphia podcast. We want to thank everyone for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the Flyer Delphia podcast. We're on iTunes, Google Play and Stitcher, and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Just remember to check us out on SoundCloud as part of the Sports Talk Philly podcast network as well. And remember, you can listen to us there and shows on the rest of Philly sports through the podcast network. So once again, thank you guys for tuning in. For Matt Mastro-Giovanni and Jeff Quake, I'm Kevin Durso, and this has been the Flyer Adelphia podcast on sportstalkphilly.com and 97.3 ESPN. You have been listening to another episode of the Flyer Delphia podcast, part of sportstalkphilly.com and 97.3 ESPN.